Good morning. So uh, a few weeks ago, I did a little show and tell, brought in my cell phone, and uh, showed what happens when you place a call to a phone that's switched off, nothing, um, because a, a cell phone can only receive a call if it's turned on, and I said our lives were kind of like that, that just as a, a phone has to be switched on to receive a call, our lives have to be tuned in to God's blessings. All of these blessings that God has given to those who believe in Jesus, uh, we have to be tuned into those blessings in order for them to make a difference. Okay. So now today, I've got another piece of equipment I brought in. This is my cell phone charger. And, it, and in case that's not self-evident, uh, what you do is you plug this in into an outlet, and you plug this in into the phone. And you know what it does? It charges the phone. Yeah. yeah you already knew that. Um, so what's the point? How are our lives like a cell phone charger? Well, you know, as we go through our days... We interact with others, and those interactions we have tend to have either a positive influence and charge people up, or they have a negative influence and they drain people down. And the point of the passage that we're going to be looking at today is that believers in Jesus are to live the kind of life that charges each other up rather than drain each other down. Or to say it another way, we are to live the kind of life that benefits others. That our interactions with them leave them better off than before we encountered them. We are in chapter 4 of the New Testament book of Ephesians as we're working our way through. And uh, we are exploring what it means to live a life worthy of the calling that God has given us in Christ. God has this amazing plan for the world, for our lives, in Christ. And when He calls us to be a part of that plan, we're to live a life worthy of that as people who have begun to experience the transforming power of Jesus Christ in our lives. Because our lives are supposed to be different. Our lives are to be different from those who do not yet have a relationship with Jesus. And last time we saw that to, to be different, to live differently, you've got to begin by thinking differently. And today we're going to see that it's not enough just to think differently. We actually have to be different in how we live out life in real life. And a big part of that difference in how we live it out is how we treat one another. And whether we're living to benefit one another. So let's take a look. We're in Ephesians chapter 4, 
And we're picking it up at verse 25. There's a note sheet in your folder. You can follow along on the screen or grab a Bible and open it up to Ephesians 4. Verse 25. Therefore, having put off falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So here we have this list of do's and don'ts they're really don'ts and do's, uh, for treating one another differently. And what all of these don'ts and do's have in common is that they are ways of interacting with each other that benefit each other or charge each other up. And so we want to break it down. So we're talking about interacting, treating one another in ways that benefit each other. How to live to benefit others, all right? First, don't tell lies, but make a habit of telling the truth. Don't tell lies, but make a habit of telling the truth. Verse 25, therefore, having put away all falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor for your members of one another. Members of one another. See that? That takes us back to where the church, those who have become part of this new community that God is creating through faith in His Son, Jesus, those who belong to Christ, we are called the body of Christ. The church is the body of Christ. When Jesus reaches into our lives and He rescues us from our spiritually dead condition, He connects us not only to himself, but to one another. Just as parts of a body are all connected to one another. And here's the thing. Members of the body have to be in the habit of telling the truth to the other members of the body for the body to be healthy. I imagine you're walking down the street or driving down the street and you come to railroad tracks. And you look and your eyes see, here comes a train. Well, what if your eyes lied to the rest of your body? And said, train? What train? I don't see any train. Sure, go ahead and, go ahead and cross. Or suppose you're eating and your stomach lies to the rest of your body and says, full? What do you mean full? I'm not full. There's still plenty of room in here. Come on, have another helping. It's probably not a good thing to talk about right before we have a potluck a little later, but, (laughs) but when the stomach lies, when any part of the body lies to any other part, it's not good for the rest of the body. Truthfulness is essential 
If we are going to grow, if we are going to be healthy, if we are going to become the people that God wants for us to be, we've got to tell the truth. Back in verse 15 of chapter 4, it said, Speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into Him who is the head, that is Christ. We will never grow. We will never grow until we get serious about being real with one another. Think about it. Why, why would we be tempted to lie to each other? Why are we tempted to lie to each other? Well, usually it's because we've got something to hide. We tell lies to get people to think things that aren't true. Duh, that's what a lie is. You tell a lie to get people to think things that aren't true, usually about ourselves. We want people to think we're better than we are. So they'll still like us. So they won't reject us. Or maybe, or maybe we're afraid to tell our friends the truth about themselves, about, about something we see that just Something's not right. Something doesn't match up here with God's truth. And, uh, and instead of having an honest conversation about it that might be awkward, we just go ahead and pretend everything's fine. Because we don't want them to get mad at us. We don't want us to think, you know, we're judgmental or something. But see, that's selfish thinking. That's self-centered thinking, and it keeps us from growing. It keeps us from going. How can we grow if we will not face our sins and fight them? How can we fight our sins all alone? We can't. You think about those sins that you struggle with repeatedly, I'll bet you're trying to fight it alone. The sins that we try to fight alone without other people praying for us, without other people holding us accountable... We don't win those fights, and we don't grow. James 5.16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. If we want to be healed, if we want to be healthy, if we want to be growing, we've got to be real with each other. When we hide, when we pretend, when we lie, we're not helping anybody. We really aren't. All all we're doing is perpetuating this myth that church is for perfect people who've got it all together. And if you don't have it all together, there's no place for you. Okay, let's just drive a stake through the heart of that myth once and for all. All right? If, If church is perfect people who've got it all together, then why back in verse 2 of this same chapter are we told, be patient, bearing with one another in love? You don't have to bear with people. You don't have to endure people who are perfect. People who think they're perfect, you do. (laughs) But not really perfect people. There's no need for patience. There's no need for bearing with them. Or here in our passage for today, verse 32, why does it tell us to forgive one another if we're all perfect? Because we're not. You only have to forgive people who hurt you, who offend you. 
Nobody has to forgive perfect people. No, let's be clear. The church is a bunch of imperfect people who desperately depend on Jesus for his grace and truth. That's the church. Desperately depending on Jesus for his grace and truth. Jesus has spoken the truth to us graciously. He's spoken the truth to us in love. And we have to do the same for one another. I may not know what else you need today, need today, but I know for sure you need this. You need God's people to speak his truth to you in love. A love so saturated with grace that we don't have to be afraid of the truth. We don't have to be afraid of rejection. Now, there are always those people who hear this and go, yes, man, I can't wait to tell that guy the truth. (laughs) And if you're one of those people who just cannot wait to get out of here and start telling people the truth, slow down. Slow down. Don't forget those words in love. And keep listening. Because when we get down to verse 29, there's a little more to this, okay? But that's where we start. Don't tell lies. Make a habit of telling the truth. Second, to benefit people, don't lose your temper, but resolve your anger quickly. Don't lose your temper, but resolve your anger quickly. Verse 26. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Be angry and do not sin. How do those go together? How do you be angry and not sin? Well, it depends on what we get angry about a lot of times, most of the time. See, unfortunately, what usually makes us angry is when we don't get our way. We don't get our way and it makes us mad. Okay, that's not what this is talking about. We'll get to that later. Right here, what we're talking about is things that ought to make us angry. And there are some. Injustice ought to make us angry. Cruelty ought to make us angry. Child abuse. Sexual exploitation. Racial bigotry. Anything else that mistreats people made in the image of God that ought to make us angry. But not for long. Not for long. And the reason for that is, you know, this proverbial saying, don't let the sun go down on your anger, resolve it quickly. The reason is that though anger is sometimes righteous, it is always dangerous. It's always dangerous to be angry. Because when we're angry, we don't think very clearly. Frankly, you know, let's just do a quick show of hands. How many of you, sometime when you were angry, you said something or you did something that later you wish you had? Okay? Right. See? If we just allow our anger to to linger, to take control, to fester, what are we doing? We're giving the devil an opportunity to cause all kinds of mischief, and he is always looking for an opportunity. Nothing I likes better is a ticked-off Christian. Because he can use that ticked-off Christian to cause all kinds of problems. 
Dr. Larry Crabb, I like what he says about anger. He says, anger is like a warning light that comes on your dashboard in the car telling you something's wrong. Now, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to take care of it, and the sooner the better. You don't just keep driving around with that warning light on. You know, that is going to lead to bad things. Bad things will happen. <laughs> I remember a guy telling me, this is really funny. He, was, he started this long trip with his family in the car, and the car started making some horrible noise. You know what he did? He turned the radio up so he wouldn't have to hear it. <laughs> bad idea. Very bad idea. Okay, so the idea is that when we're angry, we need to do something positive about it. Not yelling, not throwing things, not kicking the dog, not punching the walls, and definitely not hurting somebody. And if you have a problem with that, if you have a problem with that, then go back to point one and be honest about it. Don't lie, don't pretend, admit you have a problem with that. And ask for help. And get somebody praying for you and, and hold you accountable. Don't just say it's okay. It's not okay. Well, what can we do that's positive? Well, maybe have a loving conversation. Plan a loving conversation with the person that's made you mad. I mean, when you cool off a little bit. Don't do it right when you're mad. Plan to have a loving conversation. For the benefit of the relationship, not just to get it off your chest, but for the benefit of the relationship. Or, or if there's some injustice that's really gotten our attention and God has stirred us up to righteous anger about it, then figure out something to do to make a difference, to make a positive difference. And we can always pray. In fact, prayer should probably be the first step any time to resolve our anger. Pray about it. And if you find there isn't much else you can do, then we've got to leave it with the Lord and trust Him to handle it. Look at Psalm 37, verse 8. Refrain from anger, turn from wrath, do not fret, do not you know, linger and stew in your anger because it leads only to evil. For evil men will be cut off, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. A little while, and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found. See, sometimes anger is a symptom that we're just not trusting God's promises enough. And it doesn't mean, oh, okay, God will take care of it. I guess I don't have to care. No. We're called to do what we can do. But sometimes there's only very, very little we can do. And we've got to leave it with the Lord. He will make it right. So if something's wrong, sure, get mad, but don't stay mad. Do something about it. You know, think about Jesus. He got mad sometimes. Like when uh, they were turning the temple into a swap meet. He got mad. But mad was not his normal emotion. Jesus did not walk around perpetually ticked off. And you think about it. He hates injustice and he hates sin a whole lot more than we do. And he was constantly interacting with people who were doing terrible, stupid things. But he did not walk, out, walk around with this perpetual ticked off attitude. What did he do? He did what the Father wanted him to do. And he trusted his Father's plan. That's what we need to do. So, 
Don't, uh, don't lose your temper. Resolve your anger quickly. Number three, don't steal, but rather work and give. Remember, we're talking about living to benefit others. So don't steal, but work and give. Verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Now notice here what it's saying. It's not saying only that we should refrain from taking what belongs to other people. That's good. You know, we shouldn't do that. But it says more than that. It says we should work hard. That's what the word labor means. Work hard so we have enough to share with people who cannot meet their own needs. And please hear that carefully. Who cannot meet their own needs. Right? This is not talking about helping people who can work but choose not to. In fact, elsewhere, the same Apostle Paul says in 2 Thessalonians, For even when we were with you, we would give you this command, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. People who can work but don't choose not to, hunger is a good motivator. But work hard so you have enough to share. Now, I really doubt most people, I'm sure... Nobody in here would say out loud anyway, yeah, it's okay to steal. But the question we have to ask ourselves is, do we fully embrace this work ethic? Do we embrace this ethic? That God expects us to work hard, to provide for our own needs, and not only our own needs, but to have more to share. That the goal of making more money is not to keep ratcheting up our standard of living into greater and greater luxury, but the goal of making more is so that we can be more generous. That expecting others to take care of me when I'm fully capable of taking care of myself is not only lazy, it's unloving. Christians ought to be the best employees on the planet. And Christian business owners ought to be the best business owners on the planet. Not because we're workaholics, that's another problem. Not because we're workaholics and not because we're greedy to just lavish ourselves with more and more luxury, but because God has called us to do good. And guess what? Hard work is a good thing. And being generous is a good thing. And if you're prone to workaholism, rest is a good thing. So don't steal, but rather work and give. Number four. Don't use your mouth to harm, but only to help. Don't use your mouth to harm, but only to help. Verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion or according to the need, that it may give grace to those who hear and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed the day of redemption. Again and again and again, the Bible warns us against misusing our mouths because words have such power. Words have such power to do good or to do harm. 
They really do. And we all know this because we've all experienced this. We've all experienced the, the power of words to build us up. We've experienced the power of words to tear us down. So things like insults, gossip, ridicule, demeaning comments about others, harsh criticism. These things are what it calls here corrupting talk, which means they're like rotting fruit. It's literally the idea, rotting, rotten words, rotting fruit that spoils everything else it touches. You ever been the victim of some rotten words? Sure you have. Ever spoken any? Sure you have. See, now here's where we balance out that earlier instruction on always telling the truth. Because you can say something that's technically accurate, but unloving. And if it's unloving, it's rotten. It's rotten. say, how do I know if it's unloving or not? Well, the rest of the verse helps us figure it out. Ask yourself, will what I say, well, what I want to say, will this build the person up? Will this help them grow? Will this help them become more and more the person God wants them to be? Or will it tear them down? Is this going to meet a need? Does it give them grace? Are the words I'm thinking of saying, will they give this person grace? In other words, will it help them? And that's the question. Will it help them? Not, will it make me feel better? Yeah, getting stuff off your chest might make you feel better, but that's not the same thing as helping somebody else. So is it going to help them or is it going to harm them? Now, clarification, this doesn't mean we can never say anything that might hurt. Because sometimes the truth hurts and we still need to hear it. I had a guy confront me one time over this complaining I was doing about someone else, and I didn't like it. Kind of hurt, but I needed to hear it. I needed to hear it. And my friend did not say it to harm me. He didn't say it to put me down. He didn't say it to uh, you know, ruin my day. He said it to, to help me grow, to help make me more like Jesus. See, that's very different from saying something to jab somebody or humiliate somebody or, you know, get a laugh from other people at this person's expense. And I remember years ago, I had a friend of mine call me the king of put-downs because I had this real sharp, witty tongue that I could use just, you know, and get a laugh by saying something about somebody and everybody laughed. And and this guy calls me the king of put-downs and he meant it as a compliment and I went, oh, Hmm, I'm not sure that's the reputation I want. I'm not sure that's the reputation Jesus wants me to have. Ouch, truth hurts, but it needed to hurt. And you know what the worst thing about rotten talk is? It grieves the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is not a force. The Holy Spirit is a person who can be grieved. And He 
hates it when we gossip. He hates it when we ridicule or criticize others. Why? Because His work is bringing us together. The unity of the Spirit and rotten talk drives us apart. So, so please don't take this lightly. Don't say, well, that's just how I am. You know, if I think something, it just comes out my mouth. You know, that's not even true. That's not even true. Because I'll bet there's somebody in your life who if they walked in right when you were saying what you were saying that you shouldn't be saying, you wouldn't say it. We all have more control over our mouths than we like to admit. So don't take it lightly. Don't say that's just the way I am. Earlier I said that if we're prone to anger, we need to admit it. We need to ask for help. Well, if you're prone to gossipy, critical, unkind speech, then admit it. Admit it and ask for help. Tell someone that you've got a problem. Have them pray for you and hold you accountable. This is a scary verse. Jesus said this in Matthew 12, 36. I hope it scares you at least as much as it scares me, Mr. King of the Put-Downs. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. Whoa. So, watch your mouth. Number five, don't demand your rights, but be gracious instead. Don't demand your rights. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Verses 31-32. Now, we can see here just by reading this that not all anger, a lot of anger, is not the righteous kind. Okay? The kind that, you know, you're provoked about some, some evil. A lot of anger is not that way. It's because we didn't get our way. Where, where does this unrighteous anger come from? Where does bitterness come from? It comes from thinking that we deserve better than we're getting. Bitterness comes from thinking we deserve better than we're getting. And so bitterness is when a wife thinks, I deserve more love than my husband is giving me. And it's when a husband thinks, I deserve more affection from my wife than she's giving me. It's when parents think, I deserve more respect from my children than they're giving me. And don't misunderstand. Parents should teach their children to respect them. That's a loving thing to do, but not because we deserve it. Or people thinking, I deserve more understanding. I deserve more consideration from those people. Or worse yet is when someone actually mistreats us in some way and we think, I deserve better than that. And we brood about it. And you know, we we can do the same thing with God. Life's not going the way we think. I wanted this, I wanted this, I wanted this to happen, and this is not how it's working out. And I'm, you know, frankly, ticked off at God because I think I deserve better. Because look how hard I'm trying to serve Him. Look how hard I'm praying. Look how hard I'm reading my Bible. I deserve better than this. And we brood about it and we get bitter. 
And that leads to wrath and anger and clamor and slander. And the problem here is that thinking about what we deserve is not helpful at all. It is a dead-end way of thinking. We just need to put it away. Because the fact of the matter is, if God gave us what we deserve, we'd all be in hell. The reason we're even alive, the reason that God has blessed with every spiritual blessing, the reason we have this glorious future to look forward to is that because in Jesus Christ, God has not given us what we deserve, and He has given us everything we don't deserve. He's given us forgiveness. He's given us love, acceptance, an unconditional pardon, provision for every need. He's given us a church family. He's given us access to His throne. On and on it goes. I love what missionary Gloria Furman has said. Listen to this. She says, I'm eternally grateful that because of the gospel, God gives me what Christ deserves not what I deserve. That's the gospel. So thinking about what we deserve is just not helpful. And now I just I feel compelled to clarify something here. On this whole issue of abuse, if you're somebody who is experiencing abuse in the home, and maybe you think you deserve it, Thinking about what you deserve and don't deserve is, is, again, it's just not helpful at all. Abuse is a crime. And tolerating it is not loving for anybody, including the abuser. It's not loving. So it's not to be tolerated. And again, thinking about what we deserve, don't deserve, that's not helpful. It's not the issue. When we go around with this attitude in life that I deserve only the best, and by golly, people better measure up, and they better treat me this way, or I'm going to complain, and I'm going to demand that they treat me better. I guarantee you, if you live that way, you will be bitter. (laughs) And you are not going to charge up the people around you. You are going to drain those people down. You're going to suck the life right out of them. Because a mindset that we deserve better, that is completely contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Completely contrary, and it leads only to bitterness. So put it aside. Paul says, instead, be kind, tender-hearted, and forgiving. Why? Because that's how God treats us in Jesus. God has given us what we don't deserve. He's given us grace. And because He's done that, we can do the same for other people. When they offend us, and they will, when they hurt us, and they will, instead of doing what comes naturally and trying to get even or trying to hurt them back in some way, we can do what doesn't come naturally. We can do what God has done for us in Christ, and we can forgive them. In fact, we have to. So there's the list 
Let me ask you a question. As you read that, does that sound impossible to you? I hope so. I hope it sounds impossible because if this book tells us anything, it tells us that the only way to live this kind of life is by a radical dependence on Jesus Christ and His transforming power in our lives. The, the thing to do when you hear a kind of list like this is not say, oh man, i got to try harder. i just got to try harder. It's, it's got to be, I need to rely more on Jesus than I'm relying right now. I need to depend on Him more. Back at the end of chapter 3, Paul prayed a prayer, part of it's on your sheet. He prayed that we would be strengthened by God's Spirit. He prayed that we would know the love of Christ that passes all knowledge. He prayed that we would be filled with all the fullness of God. Don't forget that when we're here in chapter 4. Because we still need to pray for those things. That we'll be strengthened by God's Spirit. That we will know the love of Christ. And that we will be filled with all the fullness of God. That's the only way that's going to happen. Only Christ can make us new people. Only Christ can make us new people. And that's our calling. That's our calling. Will you pray with me? And right now, as you think through this list, I think a good exercise would be to just think, okay, which one of those things am I personally struggling with the most? And I would ask you to do two things. I'd ask you, first of all, as we're going to pray here in a second, to ask God to help you with that specific thing. And then, after we break, share that with a friend. Share that that's the thing that you're struggling with and that you need help with. And would you ask that person to pray for you and then give them permission to ask you how it's going. So right now, take that and take it to the Lord and ask Him to work His transforming power as you trust Him. Ask Him to help you as I ask Him to help me. Is it truth-telling? Is it working hard? Is it being gracious instead of demanding your rights? Is it using your mouth in unloving ways? Is it losing your temper instead of resolving your anger quickly? Whatever it is right now, let's just pray about it. Take it to God. Father, your word says that where uh, words are many, sin is usually not absent. It's not far away. When we talk too much, we say things we shouldn't. Lord, I talk a lot. And I just pray that you would help me not speak careless words, but words that build up, words that encourage. And I pray for anybody here who's struggling with that too, that you'll help them. And I pray for those struggling with anger and those struggling 
with laziness and those uh, struggling to be forgiving and gracious. Lord, will you help us by the power of your Spirit, by the transforming grace of Jesus, will you make us more and more the new people you want us to be? Thank you for these folks. Thank you that we're in this journey together. Thank you that we can pray for and encourage each other. God, do it for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.